Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the podcast for cosmetic, wellness and business insider knowledge. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, a cosmetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend David Segal, an entrepreneur and a multi-clinic owner in the aesthetic space. We'll cover any topic that makes you look or feel good, with long-form, unbiased and unfiltered conversations with expert guests from around the world. New episodes are released every Friday and you can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. Hey, Madeline, how are you? Thanks for joining us this morning. It's great to finally have you on here. As I was saying to you on our uh, Zoom pre-podcast chat, uh, my partner has been a big fan of yours for a long time, so it's been um, many, many mornings looking at your Instagram page and she's telling me about something amazing that you've just said or a post that you've just put up. So it's great to finally have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's nice to meet you too. I've not had the honour, Maddie. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. It's the, um, the wild world of Instagram. It's amazing. I know, right? It's, it's weird, these connections we make, but that makes the podcast so much richer because we've had all these interesting introductions and you know guests from all over the world and now Queensland. Where, where are you based exactly? I'm based in Brisbane, in East Brisbane. Fantastic. I'll be there on Saturday. I'm coming up Saturday night. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah so it should be nice. See if we can catch up for a drink or something. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> I'm sure you're just as booked up. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be pretty busy. Crazy time in the year. So the reason we wanted to have you on was to be part of our Injector series um, or sub-mini-series discussion. And, you know, I guess just to sort of reorientate the listeners, you know, we love having discussions with people all around the world that have interesting profiles, interesting backgrounds, doing things a little bit differently or just sharing their experiences, what's worked for them as an injector, some of the mistakes and failures that they've made because as much as we've tried to make this a resource for people to educate themselves on the technical side of things, it's also nice just hearing the stories about people's journeys and what's worked for them because there's a lot of people out there you know, wanting to maybe start their own businesses or looking to become injectors and we've just thought that this would be a great little mini series to run to give people like just some real life examples and stories from other people that have done it and have done it really well. Yeah, hundred percent. And in, in our conversations where we we're planning this podcast, you, you very nicely and humbly said, you know, I've been doing this for six years, but I don't consider myself an expert. And we thought that was really quite refreshing that, you know, you're, you're willing to sort of say that you're still learning. I think we're all learning. And, and part of the injector diaries is that, you know, we want anyone from a newbie to a to a true sort of elite master. Everyone's story is relevant. So Absolutely. thanks for, for joining us. Do you want to tell us about, you know, your background and, and how it all started for you, Maddie? Yeah, well, uh, with my brand, obviously now I do have a clinic, but I did just start as a registered nurse working in the hospital system and also working as a cosmetic injector. Um, I did start from quite a young age in terms of my planning of wanting to be in this industry, which I think is quite unique now. I do find that a lot of uh, injectors that I speak to or that are in my circle have just been uh, nurses in the hospital and then decided later on in life that they wanted to be injectors, whereas I think from a very young age, I knew I wanted to be in the aesthetic kind of arena. So I did start out with a beauty diploma to get myself into the industry and then I slowly worked my my way up. Yeah. And what was the what was the sort of pivotal moment or the the I guess what at what point did you decide I want to do aesthetics? Was it something from like a really, really young age or was it something that sort of happened or maybe you had your first treatment and you thought, wow, I'd love to do this as well. Yeah, I have always had um, 
poor skin condition. I've always had eczema growing up and uh, I had acne as a teenager. So as a child, I was exposed to, I guess, dermatology clinics, so a lot younger than most. And I knew that I wanted to be doing something that would help people with skin. I didn't quite know what that looked like. Originally, I wanted to be a dermatologist until I think I got to year 12 and realized that that was a medical degree and a specialty. (laughs) Um, So it wasn't as appealing. Uh, And then I kind of went down that path of wanting to be a naturopath, but I just didn't feel I had enough scope. And that's where kind of nursing came into it. The path that I wanted to take wasn't really there yet. There wasn't really... It was kind of just a nurse in the hospital or an injector uh, or a skin therapist. You couldn't really combine the three. So I guess that's how, fast forward 10 years, I've kind of had to open my own practice and and do things the way that I wanted to do, do them. There'll be a lot of nurses listening and potentially, you know, um, people wanting to get into nursing. So what did you do originally with your nursing? I know that you you spent some time in hospital and various wards and, and tell us about that. And when did you realize, hold on a minute, I can also blend, you know, aesthetics or, or get into injecting by being an RN. Well, tell us about that journey. I, I think I was actually 16 at the time. And this is where I've always been very career driven and I was trying to determine what I could do that wasn't a dermatologist. And I actually walked past, it was probably, probably would have been an Oz skin at the time, um, an Oz skin clinic. And I saw a big poster at the front and it was a nurse and they were advertising their cosmetic nurse and she was offering skin consults and all of these things. So I thought, wow, originally like my backup was to be a nurse. I kind of always wanted to do something in medical and I didn't realize that you could combine the two. So I was probably 16 and I remember going in and asking uh, the manager what their nurse did. And she gave me a bit of a rundown. And from that point, I kind of knew that that was something that I wanted to get into. Uh, so, yeah, I, I did my nursing degree straight out of high school. And after the first semester, I realized how hard it was to get into the industry without any experience. So I deferred my degree for a year and I did a diploma in beauty and I had to really start from the bottom. I had to work my way in through beauty spas, which I did not enjoy, and then be able to then work for a cosmetic doctor. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you're comfortable talking about it, um, you sort of mentioned, and I read in your profile, um, you had some skin conditions like eczema and, and psoriasis, I think, as well, you said. What was that like for you? I mean, I guess... I ask the question because I think someone looks at you and looks at this, you know, you've got this amazingly successful business. You've got a, you know, a huge profile. You're obviously very good at what you do and people respect you. But I think a lot of people sometimes forget that we all struggle in life. Not everything's always smooth sailing all the time. And sometimes things happen to us that when we're younger that shape decisions that we want to make in the future. So if you're comfortable talking about, I'm just sort of curious as to how these sorts of things impacted you and the sort of psychology at the time. And then I guess now, as someone that's looking after other people and their skin concerns, how has that helped you, I guess, from an empathetic perspective, communicate with your with your patients and so on, if, if you're comfortable talking about it? Yeah, for sure. Um, it was more just eczema for me. It was chronic eczema all through my childhood. Um, it wasn't as bad as what I probably perceived it to be at the time, um, but for me it made me very subconscious. So I remember as early as year one looking at my skin and looking at the girl next to me's skin and wondering why my skin was the way it was. Um, that made me extremely self-conscious. All through high school, I did have acne as well. So um, as you said, that empathy level is there. 
I still have flare-ups with my skin and this is something that I share with my patients often. I don't hide my skin. I do still get flare-ups. And what I try to preach to my patients now and teach them is that skin is an organ. It's an organ of elimination. You're never just going to be that after photo for the rest of your life. It's not a porcelain. No, no one has porcelain clear skin. Um, your, your skin speaks to you. So now I have a much kinder relationship with my skin. I used to hate it. I used to cover it up all the time and wonder why I had to to be the one that would suffer with skin conditions, whereas now I use it as a, I guess, a tool for me to understand what's going on in my body. I know if I'm too run down. I know if I've been pushing it too much, too far. I know if I'm really stressed, I'm going to get that eczema flare-up. And I don't feel overwhelmed anymore with my skin. I, yeah, I use it as a tool of reading what's going on with my body. And that's how we try and teach our patients as well. Yes, it can be really overwhelming when your skin's flaring up. I know, um, yeah, mentally it can and have a huge impact and huge strain on your mental health. But once you have a bit more empowerment and you understand why your skin's presenting with what it is, it's not as overwhelming. If I could just wheel you back to injecting, how did you learn to inject? And, and tell us about that pathway and then we'll, we'll come on to maybe how you learn about skin a little bit later, if that's okay. Yeah. Uh, well, after my year of uh, working in a beauty spa, I was able to have enough experience to then get into working for a cosmetic doctor and working within like a private practice. I was working for them as a skin therapist, uh, but the owner knew that I wanted to become an injector. So I was able to go to injector training and just watch in and, and watch the uh, injectors that they had at the time who were brilliant. And from there, I then was able to be trained. It's, I guess, a little different now. I think I was quite lucky at the time where the uh, clinic and the owner paid for my training and I had to stay there for a certain period of time. Um, but it all just, I just wanted to have as much scope as possible to be able to help people. So that's where injecting kind of appealed to me because it was that instant gratification. Um, I still wanted to be helping clear their skin, but I also knew that there was areas that holistic medicine just wasn't going to help, that you know, Botox and filler was, was the option. So, yeah, I was very lucky to be in-house trained and exposed to it quite early on in my career. So how long do you think it took you to sort of you know, go from early observation to hands-on to, to seeing your own patients? Because that's something that I, I still don't think that we have mm. decided as, a, as an industry what, what is appropriate. But what did you do? Looking back, it's quite terrifying, really. I think when you start, you feel invincible. Yeah. Um, six years in, I am now the most anxious, cautious injector ever, but I did start out with a bit of an ego and thought that I was brilliant <laughs> at all areas. But we were, I think I just started, it was like three months of just Botox and we were just, you know, baby Botox is what we called it. And then I'd progress on, started with lips, even though that's probably the most intense treatment, but at the time... We started with lips and then just slowly progressed from there. I was working in a practice though, so I was surrounded with other nurses, the doctor. It wasn't just me on my own or, you know, just working with skin therapists. So I was very supported, which I think a lot of nurses coming into the industry now aren't. And I don't know what well, a lot of the nurses that I've spoken to who are new to the industry, I don't think they realise how important that is to be supported and have other practitioners around you. Absolutely. And Jake's a big proponent of that, you know, mm. you're sort of yeah. building a sense of community, having people that you can reach out to. It gets stressful when things go wrong and it's just nice having that sort of family around you or that family type of sort of environment where you've got people who you can rely upon. But you touched on you touched on an interesting point, which was when you started, you felt really invincible and that nothing could go wrong. And, and I, I see that a lot, you know, and I think it's almost like this unconsciously incompetent stage where you don't know what you don't know yet. 
um, yeah. that can give you a false sense of security and that's probably where mistakes happen. Was there something that happened to you that sort of was that wake up moment where you thought, hold on a second, you know, maybe I need to take this a little more seriously or maybe I need to just, as you said, sort of check your ego a little bit. What, what happened that sort of instigated that? There's more of a type of patients that I was seeing in this particular practice. Uh, now I'm very particular with who I treat. And at the time, you couldn't be. You just had to treat anyone who walked through the door. And we did have a couple of instances where I guess the patients weren't as educated on the fact that it was a scheduled drug. And yeah, just people scare me. It's not so much the injecting that scares me. I find it was the people that would scare me. And the realisation that I wasn't in a hospital system anymore where I was protected. I've worked in public. I've worked in private. I've you know been yelled at. I've been screamed at. I've had chip thrown at me um but when it comes to cosmetics there's no protection and you know you can have patients emailing you at eight o'clock at night or going on your social media at eight o'clock at night you're really exposed and my registration means more to me than anything so that really scared me the type of people that were coming in and i also are going off on a tangent but i also feel it's how uh injectables are advertised for yeah. some clinics as well where they don't see it as a scheduled drug they see it as you know a buy two for one pizza type situation and they don't take it as serious as they should so that was a big wake-up call to me going from hospital system to dealing with patients where you had zero protection um and they can say and do whatever they want on google reviews or on social media and um yeah, that's probably what scared me the most. And moving forward now to having my own practice, as I said, I'm extremely particular with who I treat. Red flags, I'm very good with my gut instinct and I'm more than happy to turn someone away and get a bad review for not treating them as opposed to um, having my registration on the line. Yeah, it's such a good point. And, and that's what I think early injectors versus more experienced injectors quickly realize they, they've got this very high confidence yeah. and little skill, but you know, they, they, they think that they've sort of got it. And then quickly they have, they, you know, they realize something isn't quite as good as it you know should be, or they start getting some complaints or they see patients outside of their scope of what they can actually do. And then very quickly the confidence falls. And then over mm -hmm. another period of maybe another 10 years, you slowly build it up again. So I remember learning about this in the lecture, it's called confidence bias. And there's, there's a great graph mm -hmm. called the Dunning-Kruger curve. And you see the confidence sky high after five <laughs> minutes, and then it rapidly falls and then it takes years to, yeah. to grow back again. So I, I'm so glad that yeah, you've highlighted that. Back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and in terms of, you know, you're talking about the trivialization of um, these procedures and I, and I couldn't agree with you more and, it, and, it, and it's sort of tough, you know, because it's, especially when you've got someone starting a new business or a new injector trying to get their career off the ground, it's sort of a really tough position because as you said, you're, you're at the end of the day, you need to make an income for yourself, for your family and, you know, to live your life. So you, it's sort of difficult to be able to identify which patients you should and shouldn't treat. And then even if you've got your gut instinct, at the end of the day, sometimes you have to do what you have to do. I mean, do you, how do you yeah. sort of, how did you navigate those waters and what were the red flags that you sort of started to see that now you sort of recognize, ah, oh, yes, that's, uh, that's probably a danger, a danger patient right there. <laughs> I might want to avoid that. Um, I think a lot of injectors are skipping that stage. I think we all have to go through that, uh, working for somebody else, working in that supported environment. You, you just have to learn those lessons. Uh, quite a few injectors that I know in the industry that I um, have spoken to recently have just gone out on out on their own straight away, and they didn't have the clientele built up, so they just had to treat anyone who walked through the door. 
with their own business and their own brand. And that to me is just very dangerous. Um, for me, I had done the hard work and I built up a clientele. It was quite quick for me, which I was lucky. Um, but I knew the moment that I went out on my own that I would still be booked out two months in advance with my type of patient that I wanted. There's no way I would have went out on my own with my own business if I wasn't already booked um, because just for that that reason of having to start from scratch and treat anyone who walked through the door. Um, so I, I do think that building up your your clientele whilst you're in a supportive environment in someone else's business is really important. Do you agree I'll give you some background to this. This weekend, I got into a bit of a, a debate online and, and some comments under one one of my posts with another injector. <laughs> and it was essentially boiled down to a patient who had extremely augmented cheeks. And, and it was certainly not... Yeah, and mm-hmm. it, it, look, it wasn't my aesthetic at all. And I'm not patient shaming. And, and you know, people can have, you know, tattooed eyeballs and, and dragon tongues and all sorts of stuff. And, and, and that's fine. But... My point was as an injector, I would not be comfortable delivering a result like that. And and hence, that's what the post was about. But this injector got quite upset and basically said that no, patients should be able to, you know, uh, do whatever they like. And and our job as an injector is to translate their wishes into into that. And I felt very uncomfortable with that. And and I, I don't think that we sort of reached a point where we agreed, but... I read a beautiful post on your feed where, I don't know when it was, I'll check the date for you, but you were basically saying that it took you a little while to realize that when you feel uncomfortable treating a patient and they and they might voice things to you like, you know, I feel disgusting, I need some Botox or, or whatever, that sits very uncomfortably with you. Can you just tell us about that post? Because I thought it was a brilliant example of just what we were talking about. Well, as a healthcare practitioner you, or a provider, you do have the... Um you know, you should be able to assess your patient for mental health as well. And I think there comes a point where it crosses the the barrier of whether this patient is mentally well. And again, as a healthcare provider, it's our duty to to take care of that patient and not take advantage. And again, it's a luxury treatment. We don't have to treat. There's a million other injectors out there. We don't have to treat. But if a patient is uh, not aware of themselves, I guess, they're never going to be happy with your treatment. And therefore, that brings to the complaints, the patient's never happy, and then you're constantly having to treat the patient. And then, yeah, we just never come to a, a point where the patient is actually happy. And I've had a few patients like that where they are quite body dysmorphic. I look at them and think, you know, beautiful, symmetric. I, I look at all the things, but they're sitting there and focusing on most ridiculous areas and they're, they're just never going to be happy. And I don't want to be treating that because I feel like I'd be taking advantage. And I also feel like we would never come to a point where we're both mutually happy. Um, so it, it's not our duty to distreat whatever the, the patient wants. It's our duty to assess their mental health and ensure that we're not taking advantage of them with a scheduled drug. Yeah. So how do you have that conversation with a patient? Because I'm sure everyone's sitting here going, that sounds great, Maddie, but how do you do it? Because it's an awkward conversation and it's something, especially for injectors that haven't spent a lot of time in the hospital system where you've had, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours of sort of talking to patients in wards and after surgery and, you know, things happen in this hospital system all the time that sort of prepare you to some degree to be able to deal with this potentially on your own. So what's that conversation look like? Is it like a standard sort of conversation that you have or is it something that's very particular to each patient? Because it's very delicate, especially if you're dealing with someone who's got some sort of body dysmorphic issue or they've just revealed some deep, Mm -hmm. dark insecurity that they want you to treat and you think and you don't want to. 
it can be quite confronting. And just a flag, yeah. they don't even have to be dysmorphic. They can just have a, yeah. an aesthetic that either doesn't make sense or, or you as the injector just do not agree with. Yeah. So just to, yeah. I'm not painting everyone as dysmorphic. No, yeah, there's obviously a, a, that's a complete issue on its own. But I think the way that I project my image and how I present my brand, a lot of people come to me for the truth. So they are already trusting of my image, of my aesthetic and my brand. And so when I do have that conversation with them, uh, they're quite open to it because they know that they're coming to me for the truth. They're not just going to some random injector on the street and um, having a conversation with them where they have no idea who this person is and it, it's quite awkward. They've already seen me on social media and enjoyed the aesthetic that I put out. Uh, so they trust when I say enough's enough, no more. Um in saying that, though, sometimes there are those patients who want more and that's where I just say, look, I'm not the practitioner for you and there's plenty of other incredible injectors out there and this is where I do a referral. Um, I, as I said, I would much rather have a bad Google review or bad complaint about me not treating than me having treated and complained about the, uh, the work that was done. Such a, such a good piece of advice. Um, then tell us, how did you then pivot away and also add in the functional side of things? Because that's quite unique. I don't think I've come across an injector who's who's sort of juggling not just skin, but also the functional side of things. So maybe just first of all, tell us what, what functional medicine is or, 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 or what exactly you do, because there'll be some people listening who are like, oh, what is that? I don't know what it is. So basically integrative medicine. So just uh, looking at the patient as a whole and treating the underlying root issues as opposed to just the band-aid approach. So this is where my passion was ignited, uh, seeing dermatologists all the time. There's obviously a place for dermatology, of course, but when I was being treated for eczema, it was 20 years of steroid use as opposed to looking at my nutrient deficiencies, understanding why I was inflamed understanding my histamine levels, all of those internal issues that could have been addressed as opposed to just applying topical steroids. Again, there's a place for that, but for chronic conditions, we want to treat the underlying root cause and um, only utilize those pharmaceuticals in, in an acute setting. So that's what we're all about here. Um, again, I was trying to sway between the dermatology and naturopathy, and I wasn't sure which way to go. I didn't just want to be treating with herbs or just treating with pharmaceuticals. So with my practice now, um, I do have a naturopath that works with us. We've had nutritionists in the past and we're able to provide holistic care. So we're able to do pharmaceutical approach if that's what's required, but we're also looking at addressing the root cause. So understanding why the eczema was chronic or understanding why the, the acne has come through, so that we can treat it both topically and internally. Yeah. I really like that approach. I've, you know, Jake and I started this journey just talking about injectables and we found ourselves talking about all sorts of things like meditation and nutrition and, and so on. So I think everyone's starting to realize that everything's interconnected. So what does it look like when you have a new patient in front of you coming in for a consult? Just say I rocked up and made an appointment with you and we're sitting down for the first time having a discussion. Are you able to just sort of give us a brief understanding of what that initial consultation process looks like? Because it's something that's overlooked a lot in this industry, everyone's focused on technical application, how to do treatments, what's the latest filler, use this needle, that cannula. But in terms of this initial yeah. chat, I think it's overlooked. Would you agree, Jake? No, hundred percent. And the, I mean, I, I certainly haven't taken it as far as Maddie, but I've become more and more holistic. I'm asking about dentistry and weight management and stress levels. And what do you do for exercise and all these things before I put sort of needle to skin? Because, you know, COVID is a great example, actually. A lot of people have come in 
highly stressed, uh, financially stressed, um, put on weight, drinking too much, and they want that quick fix. You know, and mm-hmm. I had a patient just yesterday send me a photo, a new patient, never met them before. You know, a little bit overweight, short chin, heavy in the double chin, and wanting a you know a better jawline. Mm. And I was like, okay, well. What's happened over the last six months? When when did you start thinking about this? And it turns out he just put on a lot of weight, and he and he wasn't thinking about this up until he put on weight. So again, it's that it's that quick fix mentality that I think patients come for, and and someone like Maddie's really yeah. going to sort of untangle all of that and yeah. and sort of you know, put it in a better structure for them. So sorry to yeah. interject. Carry that's on. Okay, no, that's good. Yeah. Well, I guess looking at the face, sometimes what we're looking at is not always what the patient is um, concerned with. But I think I've come become really good at reading the skin. So looking at, you know, if there's any burst capillaries or any uh, digestive issues that are stemming on the face, usually I'll ask a patient a few questions to say, you know, are you experiencing bloating? How often do you move your bowels? And they're really shocked to realise that, like, I could just read that from reading their face. So although they might have just come in for a bit of uh, Botox in their gabella, uh, they're also feeling stressed, they're feeling puffy, they're feeling uh, like they've aged both internally and externally. So that's where we just touch on it ever so slightly if they've just come in for a Botox appointment. Um, so I just want to check, to how like... often do you move your bowels, David? <laughs> 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 Too often. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> carry on, Maddie. <laughs> that too. <laughs> um, yeah, so we want them to feel as good as what they're looking on the outside. And of course, you know, having a holistic approach and getting them on herbs or nutraceuticals is not going to release the tension that's been building up for 50 years in their frown line. So that's where we address that with Botox and give that instant gratification, I guess, and then lead them into a bit more of a lifestyle change and, yeah. and an overall health, uh, you know, glow up, I guess. Yeah. How do patients normally respond to this? I mean, I know that you've built a brand now. People come to you with the expectation that it's going to be, you know, you've attracted the people that, do what you like. So maybe this is a question for more in the early days, but like, was it people sort of going, hold on a second, I'm just here to talk about lips. This, and yeah. now you're telling me that I need to have, you know, ginseng and, and all sorts of stuff that, you know, maybe, <laughs> I, do you know what I mean? Like, how do you sort of deal yeah. with that sort of expectation of people not really understanding where you're going with this or not, not wasn't expecting this type of conversation? Yeah, originally I think they were a little confused, particularly <laughs> given the clinics I was working at didn't really align with that at all. Um, but just explaining to them how intrinsic and extrinsic factors do uh, progress aging as well. So everyone wants to look younger and if they can understand how your internal health does affect the external health, then they're a little more open, open to the treatment. Just to be clear, so once you've had your consult, uh, you've obviously done the facial aesthetic assessment, diet and, and stress and all the rest of it. Do you then give them to one of your colleagues or do you do any of that integrative stuff yourself? Uh, I've had to really cut back on that now running the business and I don't have as much time. Uh, so that's why I have I have a naturopath that works here now with us. She's our, um, like our senior naturopath who takes on a lot of our uh, patients who are a little bit without, out of my scope. I don't have the scope to be able to uh, prescribe herbs and bloods and things. So, And then we also have a facialist who she's studying to be a naturopath as well. So between the two of them um, and we can refer out as well. But I work within my scope of what I can and then our my colleagues, my staff take on the rest. 
just to say, uh, you've stolen my business model for the future because my wife's a naturopath. <laughs> and uh, years ago, when I, yeah, when I first started doing uh, injectables, it was like 2008, we used to joke and we said, look, we're going to open a clinic called Sloan and Sloan and you'll do the holistic side. I'll do, you know, the injectable and cosmetic side. And at that time I was doing colonic, um, sorry, I was doing colorectal surgery and she was doing colonics. So we were going to, she was going to be the poo queen and I was going to be the poo king. <laughs> we were going to cross refer patients to each other, but never happened. And, and you've stolen my idea now. So I'm a little bit, little bit miffed, but no, I'm joking really. Well, I, I did my grad year in colorectal and I remember ah. saying to the surgeons, why are we giving them bowel prep before the surgery? Why aren't we doing colonic irrigation? Yeah. And they were all so confused, like, why would you do that? But yeah, and my my new injector as well, I've actually just hired a full-time injector. She was a colonic therapist before now. Wow. So, um, yeah. That's cool. Definitely, definitely room for, for that business idea. Yeah. I think a lot of our patients as well, people are confused with how I can be injecting poison and uh, promoting a healthy lifestyle. But I definitely think it goes hand in hand in terms of the need for pharmaceuticals when it's needed and understanding how that affects the liver and how you can support your body through uh, having the pharmaceuticals. So having kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah, it's well. a good point, actually. Um, people will often say to me and my wife, how do you, you know, how do you guys align? Because, you know, you're the natural one and you're the, you know, the, the doctor injecting poison, exactly what you just said. And yet, how, how do you marry that argument? Because obviously, you know, it's not poison, it's a medicine used in a prescribed mm -hmm. dose to do you yeah. know, exactly what we do. But how do you describe that to your patients? A lot of my patients are very fit, healthy, very conscious and are quite embarrassed to be having Botox, to be honest. It's, yeah. it's not their aesthetic. It doesn't align with them. Um, but just educating them that it's a pharmaceutical. Some of them have been on the contraceptive pill for 20-odd years and just understanding how the liver detoxifies and, and again, how we can support them. No one is completely toxin-free. Like I, I know a lot of people want to put out that aesthetic. No one is. So just having the best of both worlds and understanding how to support their body through it. Yeah. Um, everything is a poison if you have enough of it. Yes. And, exactly. and I think that's the thing, you know, like it, it's everything's a matter of degree. Including ginkgo biloba yeah. and everything else. Including water. Yes. <laughs> if you have too much water, you will die. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's something that people need to understand that it's, you know, it's, as you said, it's prescribed. It's, and that's what we're sort of talking about. You need to take this shit seriously because it is a medical procedure. It is prescription drugs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Did I don't know if this is a, a fun fact for listeners. The world supply of Botox, so Botox, not Dysport, fits into a matchbox. So mm -hmm. we are giving nano, nano, you know, milligrams of, of Botox per person. So if that helps you yeah. feel more comfortable about how much you get per, per treatment, then hopefully that's, yeah, hopefully it makes you feel better about it all. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So maybe let's take a little bit of a, a sort of, turn to the business side of things and we'll probably come back to, to skin and, and sort of injectables, but I'm just really interested in the business side of things. So you're working for someone else, you've built up your client base, you decide that, hey, I'd like to start my own concept, my own business. What was that sort of decision making process like? What was the sort of light bulb moment? And then how do you initially take that first step from being an employee to now being the person that, you know, the buck stops with you and all the, you know, all the financial um, responsibility all the ideas, all come back to you. So do you want to just explain that to us a little bit? Absolutely terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess at the time I had left my practice that I was working at and I had gone to a new one 
and it had just started up and I had been there for a year and I could see that all of my clients had followed me. I could see the figures that I were I was bringing in, although now I realize it's not as great as what it seems. You see your end of day figure, but you don't realize how much is actually coming out of that for overhead costs. Um, so I just figured I was doing all the hard work. Why not just do it for myself? And again, I wanted to really, what I wanted to do was have a practice where the patients were aligning with me. I was so fed up with seeing people that I just did not want to treat and did not want to put my registration on the line for. So I really just got to a point where I thought I have to do it my way. And if it doesn't work, I kept my foot in the door at the hospital and I knew that I could just go work for some chain clinic if, if the business didn't work. But basically, the greatest thing I did to start with was to go and see an accountant, put all my figures into into the Excel spreadsheet, work it all out, understand how much the drugs actually do cost and what my overheads and insurance would cost and work out whether it was going to be lucrative and whether I could survive off it. Um, So that was a big eye-opener and that's what I first started with and I started small. So sounds very dodgy, but I swear it was um, a, a good practice. I was working at the back of a hairdressing salon. They had this beautiful big queen blender at the back and I rented a room and it was just this tiny room that was done up really beautifully. My rent was next to nothing, so my overheads were very, very low. And I aligned myself with a really great doctor up here in Brisbane who was on call and, and very involved with my um, prescribing and with my training. And Looking back, that's terrifying. I don't think I could ever go out on my own again and be injecting in a room on my own. I certainly don't recommend that to anyone. Um, but that's what I started with. And I did have a really great team of injectors who I knew if anything was to go wrong, were there for me, Yeah, um, which was really important. It's funny, isn't it? When you um, you take the leap and start a business and then sort of, you know, you've, you've managed to, to sort of come through the trenches and it's successful and it's, you know, it's on its own momentum now. But you look back and you go, what the fuck was I thinking? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's almost like yeah. if you knew, you wouldn't do it. It's sort of like I hear yeah. this with women that have children. They're like, God, if I knew what was going to be involved, you know, like all the pain and, and it's like, but then you forget. And then it's almost like the same yeah. with business. You're almost giving, you know, and I don't mean to offend anyone by this, but it's almost like you're giving birth to a business. There's a lot of planning and pain and stress and risk that go along with it. Um, but it's interesting that sort of once you've come through it, you think back, oh, I could never do that again. I could never no, do that yeah. again. Yeah. Well, at the time I was still working one to two days a week at the hospital just yeah. to keep that there and to ensure that that fund, like that amount of money coming in would pay for my rent and yeah. keep me alive. And then I was working five, six days a week at the clinic. Like it was insane. But at the time you're so excited and I was running off adrenaline yeah. and complete burnout yeah. <laughs> occurred a, a year or two in. But at the time I just did what I had to do to get through it. Interesting to reflect on yeah. on nurses who've left your businesses because yeah. you know <laughs> there's been yeah. many of them yeah. and and many haven't succeeded. Yeah, why do you think that was? Um, well, it's sort of what Madeline alluded to. I think that people see all this money coming into a business and they think, well, I'm only getting twenty percent of this or twenty five percent of this, and I should be getting more. And mm-hmm. I think that you know people start to develop a little bit of an ego. And look, it's important to have an ego because that's what sort of drives you to be confident and believe in yourself. So it's a fine line between being overly egotistical and being confident enough to sort of take the risk and have those discussions and and sort of follow your dreams and and what it is you want to achieve. But I think there's a lot of people that sort of go out there and and then they sort of think that it's going to be much easier than what it is. And and as you said, the realisation of plugging figures into an Excel spreadsheet and looking at things on zero and going, holy shit, like this actual (laughs) stuff costs a lot of money, like my rent, my insurance, 
my website. I didn't know what bass was. There you go. You thought it was a fish, right? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So people just, it's it's unconsciously incompetent. And then when the sort of, it dawns on them that, holy shit, like maybe I should hire someone now. And then that's a whole sort of raft of issues in itself, like employment contracts. And what if they do screw something up? And it's, I think that people... I think it's important for, to go and start your own business, but it's not it's certainly not for everybody. I think it takes a certain no. temperament and a certain type of personality to be able to want to deal with all those sort of extrinsic um, sort of stresses that you never get trained for. I mean, you're, you've trained in, you know, the medical field, you know, so you're taking care of patients mm-hmm. and, and sort of physical things. So this whole, all of a sudden, you're like dealing with issues that you have no education on. And it's it's a yeah. steep learning curve. And I think a lot of people come to the realisation I'd rather just turn up and take care of my patients. All this other stuff's given me like, you know, I'm going to have an aneurysm. It's, yeah. it's, it's full on. And yeah. In fact, going back to that, you know, the angry patients or the disgruntled patients or the ones you turn away, it's one thing as an injector just, just to say, I'm sorry, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's, that's not for me. But as the business owner, you then sometimes have to take on the, yeah. the fire that comes with that and the emails and the drama and the shouting. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. kudos to you for, for taking on that mantle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is what I say because I, I get a lot of nurses reach out to me asking how to start your own business and whatnot. Like, why, like do you want to be a business owner or do you want to be a good injector? Mm. Like, there's no need for you to go out on your own. A lot of private practices will let you have your own you know, Instagram and your own branding and things like that. I think a lot of people want it for their ego, um, which I probably did at the start as well. But honestly, I would much rather have gone to a clinic and do my nine to five and go home. Yeah. Um, I'm not that way driven because I, I do love business and I did want to own a business. But yeah, I think a lot of injectors just see the glamour of owning their own. And yeah, like you can still have that glamour working for someone else and securing you know, a salary and not having to deal with that stress because it, it is a lot. Uh, there's no way I could do it if I had children at the moment. I'm Luckily, my partner's very supportive and I'm in my, my 20s. Like, yeah, I, I think it's um, a big decision as to whether you want to be a great injector because I'm not progressing as an injector. I'm a pretty basic injector and I hire good injectors now. I'm at that stage where I don't have time to be training constantly and learning new skills. And, mm. you know, PDO Threads came about and it took me a year before I could actually get a training session in. Um, so now I just hire better injectors than me, but I'm a business owner now. Yeah. So I guess nurses need to make that decision as to which one they're going for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very I sensible. I don't think there's any shame in just saying that you want to be injecting. I mean, it, as I said, it's, it's certainly not for everyone. But sort of going yeah. back to where sort of when you made this transition, I think a lot of people might be asking, well, how many clients did you have at the time when you made the leap? How long did it take you to build up that clientele? You know, what were your first hundred days like as an injector? All these sorts of, you know, everyone... It, it's 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 one thing to see the success story after the fact, but to sort of understand what you had to go through in terms of, you know, those scary moments when you probably didn't have any clients or you, you know, you had days where there was no one coming in. So how did you, like, at what point did you decide, you know, the transition, you know, the transition should happen now and sort of how long did it take you to, to sort of build up that client base? I was working at a the private practice clinic for about two to three years as an injector, but I had already been a skin therapist there for a few years prior. So that already gave me a bit of a clientele to build on and they then came through. Um, by the time I was ready to open my own, I was treating 40 to 50 patients a week and I was wow. booked out two to three months in advance. Yep. Um, so I knew, and like I'm not saying that in an arrogant way, I knew that I had the clientele 
as I said, there's no way if I had you know, days where there was no patient booked in, there's no way I would have opened my own. I would have kept progressing until I had built that clientele. Um, so I guess I got lucky in that sense that I already had a solid client client base. And Instagram was a huge help for that. There's no way I would have built that without Instagram. Just showing my work, showing who I was as a person, um, I think was really important because patients had already made the decision before they came in that they aligned with me and they wanted me to treat them and they trusted me. I've got to say that that's probably very mirroring what I do. You know, the Instagram has allowed to almost act as a pre-consult. People know what they're coming for before they've stepped into your clinic. So how do you, you know, what advice would you give to, to injectors out there who, who, you know, a lot of people haven't started their Instagram yet or they're not really focusing on it. What would you you give them um, as suggestions to sort of power their Instagram? Just to find what, like what your brand is, not to copy anyone, but have a really solid idea of what you want to project and thinking of that, that type of patient that you want to bring into practice and really work with that. If you are all about big lips and the, the Kim Kardashian look, which is fine, there's lots of people out there who are looking for injectors like that, then go with that. Um, yeah, just have a really solid idea of who you are and what brand you're willing to put out there. And I also find, and you probably found as well with your Instagram, making it personal. I do have the clinic Instagram, which is a bit more professional, but not just uploading before and afters and, you know, promotion photos and things like that. Putting myself on there. Like sometimes I'm, I'm in my pajamas at home, but it gives the, uh, the clients that way to see me in a more personable way and to have a, a bit more of an insight into me as a human, as opposed to me just as an injector and, um, you know, making complaints and things like that. It's a little bit more personal. They can see how hard I've worked to get to where I am, which is really important for me. Um, I'm at a stage in my practice now where I won't treat anyone who hasn't been on the wait list to see me or hasn't already seen me. And that's not, again, because I'm being arrogant or anything. It's just because if someone walks in and they don't know anything about my business or anything about me or how hard I've worked to get to where I am, I feel like... I just feel like that relationship isn't there and I feel like sometimes that can go wrong. Um, I think I'm going off on a tangent, sorry. but No, I, right. I totally, I, I agree with all of that. Yeah. I love tangents. <laughs> We're all about them. If, if, yeah, you had, going sometimes. if you had to start your business again, what would you do differently? Or, or, or if you don't mind sharing the odd mistake that you, you wish you hadn't have made? Uh, more so for me and my health, I really burnt myself out. Um, to the point where I was experiencing extreme anxiety, not to overshare, but I got to a point where I was terrified to inject because I just kept waiting for something to go wrong. And I was so burnt out and did not have the mental capacity to deal with anything going wrong. Um, I needed to take more time off. In saying that though, I would not have got to where I am as quick as I did without the hustle, but I probably pushed that hustle a little too far. Um, I certainly noticed it in my body. I was definitely not a functioning nurse. I was, um, yeah, experiencing some extreme anxiety and it, it did have a big impact on my health and I'm slowly recovering from that now. And there's no point trying to be a healthcare provider and help other people when you yourself are, are suffering. Yeah. Um, you touched on an interesting point about, you know, showing your personality, showing people who you are. And it, it sort of might be confronting for some people to sort of put themselves out there to that sort of a level where people just you know, the thought of like some person you don't know not liking you for no other reason than they just don't like you can sometimes be confronting. Um, mm -hmm. But people make decisions based on emotion and they justify them with logic with everything that we do. So I think it's interesting, you know, you've recognized that 
the putting yourself out there and your patience will self-select. And we sort of discussed this before. It's like, mm-hmm. you don't need to be everything to everybody. You just need to be true to yourself because it's hard to fake not being you. And the patients will yeah. eventually find you, the people that resonate with what you put out, what your personality is like, the things that you stand for, they will find you. And I think, you know, you've sort of done that as well, Jake. You know, you sort of, you're a bit irreverent. You don't mind offending people, <laughs> especially me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's funny. And, and, and to sort of add to what Maddie said, I would say you can't please everyone. And, and so don't try. Uh, and that's why being vanilla and, and being in the middle all the, all the time is never going to, it's not going to show yourself. It's not going to show your business. It's not going to show your values. And yes, you know, I might push the boundary occasionally, but you know, I'm going to get my tribe. I'm going to get the people that resonate with that and and think it's nice or funny or, or good work. And the people who don't, fair play, they'll just say, you know, he's not for me. Um, yeah. it, but it's funny, you know, my before and afters get the least engagement and yet those are the ones I'm most proud of. And yet if yeah. I put something stupid like a meme that points fun at something, suddenly the engagement goes up. So, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to use your Instagram in a way that, you know, not is so sort of um, contrived that, that you're just doing it for the gram, but at the same mm-hmm. time stimulates conversation about what you do. Yeah. So that's how mm-hmm. I would describe it. Yeah, absolutely. What, what are your thoughts on that, Maddie? Yeah, for sure. I, with the interaction, I think I'll put up a post and it will be all educational and I'll get you know, a certain amount of likes and then I'll put up something about my partner and I on the weekend and the <laughs> engagement will go through the roof. Yeah. <laughs> People want to know you and, and, and want to see behind the scenes, I guess. Yeah. Which is odd. That's but what my kids are good for. Just wheel them out once a month for a photo and, <laughs> and, and I get lots of likes. It's funny how nosy we are as a species, aren't we? We want to know everything about yeah. people. I mean, sometimes I'll be just driving, driving down the street and I look into a house and I go, I wonder who lives there. Yeah. Wonder what, I wonder what, wonder what their living room's like. I wonder what sort of TV. <laughs> I, I have, have all these the weird thoughts. Yeah, it's just... Well, uh, it's good just example. Weird. Yesterday I was swimming with my kids and this woman came up to oh, me. She she said, yeah, yeah, she yeah. said she texted you and she said is that Dr. Jake? And and she came up to me and this is only through Instagram that we met, but she knew David and she'd seen my kids on Instagram and then she came and come and had a chat with me. It was quite nice. Yeah. It was, she told me she was going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so Instagram, the weird world of, of networking, but it, it, it definitely has its positives. But, you know, uh, I think our patients sometimes go down little rabbit holes where they focus so much on technique or, or, or um, you know, certain treatments that they try and translate that into their own face. And I guess that's yeah. what you're saying. When patients come to you asking for things that are, you know, they're showing you photos and stuff, that's when it becomes difficult because I don't think mm-hmm. they understand the complexity of, of facial aesthetics, really. Yeah, for sure. And that's why sometimes with my before and afters that I post, particularly with skin, I won't necessarily say what that patient has had or the price point of what they've had either. Um, just again, because you don't want them to think, well, she's had two meals of dermal filler and mm. it was nine ninety. That's what I want. Um, yeah, we don't we don't advertise pricing either um, for that reason. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? We've sort of as a, as a, as an industry. Uh, created a rod for our own back in some respects. This whole sort of, I don't know, it's like commoditizing these treatments where it's just like you're, you know, designing like one, like, I don't know, like a Mr. Potato Head where you want, I want this nose and this <laughs> eyes and I want this chin mm-hmm. and this jawline. And it's like, lips. yeah, I want these lips, but it's like, well, does it suit your ethnicity? Does it suit your innate like facial structure, your bone structure? Like it, it's, it, yeah, it's, we've, we've done it to ourselves where people just, they want to know how much per meal they want to have the same yeah. treatment their friend had. And it's, it puts you guys in a difficult position where you have to have these conversations where it's like, well, 
that was them and this is you and me doing that type of treatment is not going to do you any, any justice. And then you're also sort of, you know, limited by, you know, people being able to identify one meal should cost this. We actually should be paying for a result. Mm, yeah, 100%. Yeah, and the skill. Yeah. Yes. H- how do you battle those patients with that mentality? And I don't want to say this in a disrespectful way, but the, the chain clinic sort of, you know, mentality. Uh, again, we, we don't advertise pricing um, with our advertising. Really, all I do for advertising is our Instagram. And so, again, it's projecting uh, the type of patient that I wish to have. And that type of patient isn't one that's shopping around for the cheapest price. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they again, trust our aesthetic and trust our advice. So it, it took a long, long time to build that type of patient. But just being conscious of what you're putting out there. I see a lot of marketing where it's, I guess, uh, all photoshopped and smooth skin and the language that, that's used is very negative in terms of pretty much insulting the consumer in order to then sell to them a treatment that will make them look and feel better. Mm. Um, so, you know, turning back the clock, anti-aging, you know, take 20 years off, that kind of language we don't really use um, because we don't want, you know, we don't want to project that negative kind of uh yeah, you know, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but we don't want we don't want to be insulting our client for them then to go, well, I want to have that treatment and turn back the clock 20 years. It's all very individualized. And you know, will me putting another meal of filler in your lips actually make you look better? Like mm. will that enhance you? Why do you think you need that? Um because a lot of times they don't. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I love that mentality. Just to drill down in in what you actually offer as an injector yourself, and then maybe you can tell us about your team. What what core treatments do you do? As I said, I'm a very basic injector these days. I'm pretty much treating glomellas all day, but um, I'm big on I, I treat lips, but a very soft, natural kind of finish. Uh, lots of chins, lots of cheeks, um, but mainly just tocks or this bottom. Mm-hmm. And um, um, I do have. Sorry, I was going to say, and, and then how big is your team? How many other injectors do you have? So I have our doctor who's our prescribing and treating doctor. So he's obviously a little bit more advanced with mm-hmm. his treatment. So I'm, I'm usually referring um, some of my more elderly patients onto him. I have uh, our senior nurse injector who is actually a galgama trainer. So she's extremely skilled and experienced. So again, she takes on some of the more complex patients. Uh, then I just hired another registered nurse who is pretty on par with me. Uh, so she'll work and treat any of my patients who can't get in with me. And then we have a skin therapist, our naturopath and receptionist. Yeah. Uh, what is a what is a holistic facialist? I was I just going to ask that. <laughs> I read it on the website and she looks like she's got like a very, very detailed, you know, lot. she's very experienced in what she does, but I sort of hadn't heard this terminology before. Could you explain it a little bit? Yeah, I, I guess it's just something we've made up really. It's not really a title, but... She is starting to be a naturopath. She's her second year naturopathy. Um, and just her understanding of skin, we work with the osmosis skincare range. So she she works within her scope to be able to provide nutraceuticals as well to patients. So she's able to assess their skin, give them a beautiful facial, and then kind of understand what's going on internally and get them on the right path before they then see the naturopath if needed. So again, it's a little bit more, we're not really lasers or anything too aggressive with our facial treatments. It's really trying to treat them from internally as well as understanding the topical products that that are needed. I don't know the Osmosis skincare range. Tell us about that quickly. Um, So it's it's by an integrative uh, doctor. I think he's Canadian actually. 
Um, but it's a cosmeceutical range. So we stock a whole range of like natural organic uh, cosmeceuticals, but it's probably the most advanced. So they do like the back bar products as well, but it's all based on internal as well. So they have their own internal health range also, but it's all about reading the skin. So basically my brand in a bottle really, um, because yeah. a lot a lot of the cosmeceutical products are amazing, but it's all just topical solutions. And, you know, not to get too detailed, but do these products, you know, they might be organically, you know, based ingredients, but do they still have actives in like retinol yeah. or vitamin yeah. C, etc.? So there's a whole other world now of, you know, there's just organic that might just be soaking or something on the shelf. Yeah. But then there's a whole other world of actual cosmeceuticals. So it's more just about being health conscious, not mm. so much having a lot of, like, as we said, anything can be toxic or poisonous in high doses. Yeah. Um, but it's all just about having a, a health conscious range. So a lot of our brands are made by healthcare professionals and there's nothing that's, you know, a, a lot of products don't have toxins in them these days, but it's all about reducing the toxic load and reducing the amount of ingredients going on the skin. Mm. What are your thoughts on sort of biostimulatory treatments. And we're actually even seeing that now with with sort of PDO threads, which I think when people hear the word thread, they think lift, facelift, I don't need to get a facelift, but it's actually not really designed for that. We're sort of looking at collagen stimulation. Um, so when you mm-hmm. use, you know, we're talking about PDO threads, maybe things like radius, sculpture, things like that. It seems even though these products, um, or certainly sculpture and radius aren't new, um, they're starting to have like a bit of a resurgence in popularity because people are starting to understand how to use them more appropriately, the sort of real natural result that you can get or as an adjunct to sort of fillers later on. So what, what are your thoughts on, on those treatments and how do you sort of integrate them into your practice, if at all? I feel that it only works as well as the patient's health. So sure. if you're treating a patient who is chronically inflamed and has poor wound healing and, and is, you know, liver's under stress, their gut's under stress, they're not going to get the best response from something that's so invasive and aggressive um, that's creating that trauma in order to create the collagen. So I personally don't treat with those uh, modalities. That's where my doctor and, and more advanced nurse would treat. Um, but we're more looking at ensuring that we reduce the inflammation in the patient's body. We've got a 60-year-old patient with chronic gut uh, conditions and they're inflamed and they have arthritis and all these things going on in their body, they're not going to get the best healing response on those treatments and I don't want to put more strain on the body either. Um, so that's where we would try and reduce the amount of inflammation as possible and then proceed to treat if we if we feel necessary. Can I ask, because I've asked my wife this a thousand times, but when you use the word inflammation, I know it's a sort of a catch-all term for, for a sort of a biological process, but when you're seeing a patient, you know, on your treatment bed and you might see, I don't know, redness or something, like what, what, what are you looking for that shows you that maybe their gut, you know, potentially isn't working as well as it could be. And, and you mentioned that the skin is the organ of excretion. So there's a sort of a sign mm-hmm. on the face that is suggesting internally they're not maybe optimally, um, you know, in health. So, so what are you looking for? Right. And, and does that translate to any of the, you know, injectable signs, you know, like, I don't know, lines or volume loss or, or anything else? Or is it just more the skin that you're looking at? Because I'm just curious to know um, how you work. More so skin integrity. So definitely glycation of the skin. Um, usually we refer to Chinese facial mapping, which is up for interpretation, but we do tend to find anything that's in the gut will come through in that inflammation on the chin. The Mm. lungs is usually through that mid-cheek region. Um, And then acne can present in all different ways. And we look at pesticides and, and, um, you know, reduction of gastric juices in the gut. So 
it is it is quite obvious actually when you look at a patient and you can see those areas presenting, particularly when they have been chronic. It doesn't necessarily translate to injectables in terms of dermal filler, um, but it does it does translate to that skin integrity in those areas that are quite crepey or have aged a lot. We can't get to the filler, um, so that education for the patient that we need to be treating the internal inflammation and um, filler can only do so much. Yeah. You must see a lot of those Queenslanders with knackered skin, sort of mm-hmm. sun, yeah, sort of and neck. So yeah. I know you've mentioned you don't work with lasers, but do you ever outsource when someone, you know, just needs Definitely. to be resurfaced? Definitely. You're diving I, down the road, haven't you? Yeah. Diving limb. <laughs> Lasers are hard because they are so expensive and there's a laser clinic on every corner of the street up here. Um, Imagine the same down there where they're just offering it at ridiculously cheap prices. So it's just not an area as a business owner that I really want to delve into. There's some people up here that do laser really well. So we will usually work on the skin integrity, ensure it's uh, ready to go for something invasive like laser, but definitely referring out for laser. Yeah. So when you're talking about inflammation, how are you sort of assessing and treating that? Um, I know I've heard lots of things about different diets, pro-metabolic, vegan, carnivore, mm-hmm. you know, whole foods. I don't know, people do paleo and sort of all these sorts of things. Yeah. So, I mean, interested to see from it from a dietary perspective, sort of what your thoughts and philosophies are, but then generally how do you sort of approach this inflammation issue with, with your patients? Well, again, we can only work within our scope, which is quite minor, um, but that's where we would refer on to the naturopath. So oftentimes they're looking at histamine levels within the body. Oftentimes our eczema patients or um, you know some of the acne patients as well have high histamine levels in their body. We might be uh, overloaded with estrogen. They've been on the pill for a very long time. All of these things do contribute to inflammation in the body. We're all inflamed to some degree, um, but some of us more so than others. And if our eliminatory systems aren't working, so if you're know, not moving your bowels every day, the liver's overloaded. Um, you're going to be more inflamed than, than someone else. So we we would start, well, myself personally would start them on some nutraceuticals to help. There's only so much scope that I have in terms of nutrition of what I can recommend, and that's where a nutritionist is then the next uh, next stage of referral. But just opening up the educa- opening up the conversation and educating mm. them on this isn't normal, this isn't how you're supposed to feel, there's things that we can do. And, um, yeah, then referring them on to our naturopath who might do some functional pathology and some testing that's a little more uh, in-depth than what the doctor would be doing in terms of looking at quality of life as opposed to just, you know, just looking at the levels of life and death, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's the nutraceutical? Do you mean like supplementation and vitamins or is it different to yeah. that? Yeah, we, like our ethos is more so to get the nutrients from your food, which is where the nutritionist would come in. Mm. Um, but to start with, you know, if our patients are low in fatty acids, if we're seeing that in the skin, we would obviously then uh, supplement with nutraceuticals for a short period of time to get those levels up. If, you know, they're low in iron, they're low in zinc, uh, to get those levels up and then educate them on how to then get that from their food. Yeah, it's actually interesting. We we had Nikki on the podcast just a few podcasts ago and she's a skin therapist from Shape. And I've been moaning bitterly about this red kind of annoying patches on my nose. I've been there for donkey's years. And she said, okay. And she's made a few suggestions. I won't say exactly what, but you know, simple stuff. She said, I also Mm -hmm. want you to add in fish oil into your diet. 
It's like, oh, mm-hmm. how come? Like, why? And so we went on this sort of deep conversation about how essentially it's going to help, you know, with the the cell membranes and the barrier function and da-da-da. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. that makes total sense. So yeah. I'm going to be starting fish oil very, very soon. So, you know, <laughs> diet is so, so important. Yeah. And then you can start, sure. del- and then you can start delving into how old that fish oil is. It rancid. Yes. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> there's exactly. all these other because fish krill fish. Yeah, because I mean, it depends. I mean, these oils, mm-hmm. you know, these sort of. I mean, I'm starting to educate myself a little bit on things, and you start reading about things like you know polyunsaturated fats, and you know, is that mm-hmm. an issue? You know, even so, fish oil has been something that's sort of largely been recommended to large groups of people, the populations really. But like, what's the quality of that fish oil? Mm. Um, yeah. and it's, you know, it's hard to find good stuff. So make sure you use the Oh, good. she's pointed me to the right, right. Brand, don't you okay. worry. Very good. <laughs> um, going back to injectables, uh, and, and one of the things that we like to drop in with the Injector Diaries is just some specifics about your favorite products. And I get the idea that you're more of a Galderma clinic, but, but let's ask the question, what's your favorite toxin and why? Uh, well, I started out as an elegant girl mm-hmm. and that's how I was trained. And it wasn't until I went out on my own that my doctor and my actual Galderma trainer now works for me. And I don't know, I, I'm now Galderma. Um, I tend to always go for this sport. I have all three toxins in the clinic and it's whatever the patient likes. A lot of my patients have been having it for years, so mm-hmm. they have their preference. I, I can't tell you why I just go for go for this book. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I do find the onset's a little quicker for some patients. Yeah. Um, for myself, I find it lasts a good six months, which is insane. Um, but yeah, I, I just am a creature of habit, so I just go for this book now. Yeah, and you said you have all three toxins there, so I'm assuming the third one you're referencing is Xeomin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, how do you? This is a backup. Yeah, how do you how do you use it? Because I'm hearing lots of different schools of thought on it. it's a sort of one to one to Botox. You need ten percent more, twenty percent more to sort of get an equivalent. So what's your what's your sort of uh, experience and what works for you? Honestly, it's been a good six years since I've actually used it in practice. Right. When you're working for someone else, you just kind of have to go with what's in the cupboard. The only good thing I like about Theamin is I keep the boxes in the cupboard without having to refrigerate them. Yes. So we just have a handful there for rainy days. Um, but I can't say I've been training with it for yeah. yeah for a good six years now since I've actually opened a while. Well, we're trying to get Mertz on the podcast to come and have a chat with us because we want to clear this up once and for all because we hear mm. so much anecdotal sort of stories and evidence from people that say, oh, it's it's crap or it's good or it's great if you do this. Yeah. You have to make this adjustment because everything's compared to the gold standard, which is Botox, which was here first. So everything is sort of compared to that. So we definitely want to have that. there's so many variables. It's hard to know. Yeah, totally. And and let's be honest, it's like comparing apples to pears. They are all Mm. different. So if you know how to use a product, you'll be fine. Hence, there are people who only use Xeomin or Dysport. What's your favorite filler and why? And and you can choose any facial area. It doesn't really matter. But what, what product do you like? What's your favorite? I have actually loved the transition from, and I'm allowed to use drug names. Yes. Say, hey. um, no, from, sh- Voluma to, <laughs> from Voluma to Lyft from Galderma, um, I find I need a lot less. And I get, particularly for chins and jawlines and cheeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and from a business owner perspective, it's really nice to just have a few meals of that in the cupboard and know that that can kind of be used a little bit more universal. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, from Voluma to Lyft, I, I'm, I'm loving Lyft. Bristolene Lyft, yeah. Perfect. They used to be called Perlane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Mm-hmm. Um, what about your favourite cannula? Or do you prefer needle over cannula or different areas of the face? Do you have any sort of go-tos? I know Jake does. 
And yeah, well, cannula make, because that, yes, that's what gets controversial, the make and size of cannula. I'm not too fussy, to be honest. Again, working in those kind of clinics where you just had to use whatever you could, mm-hmm. whatever they had. Um, but probably now, PSKs, 25Ks. Yeah. Um, as a business owner, they're very expensive, so I don't like it in that yes. sense. But yeah, that's probably what I go for now. <laughs> Thoughts on aspiration? There's... Um, there seems to be, it's a very polarizing topic that we like to ask people and make them feel awkward about it. I, I aspirate, it's not in lips. I, uh, I've i seen a few injectors recently aspirating lips and to me that just makes zero sense. You're not anchored on the bone. I don't, I don't know how that works. So I aspirate when I'm injecting cheeks, chin, jawline. I don't aspirate for lips. And... I mean, do you regularly or, or sometimes get positive aspirates? And, and what, you know, as an injector? Uh, not once, not once okay. in six years. But, but it's, again, a creature of habit. I feel like I'm being naughty if I don't. So yeah. I just go with it. Fair enough. Um, do you have any sort of cool little, I don't know, novel adjuncts? like, Or do you use ice or do you use any sort of special painkillers or the vibratory things to sort of distract people? Anything sort of like that that you use regularly in your practice? I usually use lavender oil and peppermint. In the holistic health clinic that we are, um, I find a good few inhalations of peppermint before if a patient's prone to passing out just to help vasodilate um, and lavender just to calm. So a lot of my patients will opt for that. I don't like to be giving Valium or anything before or gas. I just find it's yeah, just too too erratic um, and we have some really good numbing. So if the patient's finding it that painful, they probably shouldn't be having the treatment. But, uh, yeah, lavender and peppermint oil are my kind of go-to. So, so how does that work? So when do you give them and, and what, and you know, is it? Just a- inhalations. Oh. So you're just putting it on a pad breathing in, three big deep breaths. They're usually quite anxious before they've come. They've had their coffee. They're a little bit jittery, a little bit nervous. So just that three big deep breaths before we start just to calm them, get them in the right headspace. And um, the peppermint just helps to awaken the senses, I guess. Mm, and, yeah, just, um, yeah, just yeah. like chlorophyll. I like that. That's yeah, cool. Just like chlorophyll. Only <laughs> 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 chloroform. Chloroform, yes. Yeah. Sorry, not chloroform. Talking chlor- about plants. Sorry, like, chloroform. Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> chloroform, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the biggest mistake you've made and, and how did you learn from it? Again, probably going back to that burnout mm. uh, burnout situation. I, yeah, I now have to, oh, probably actually now a good one would be accepting DMs on Instagram. That's that a good one, yeah. It was uh, very full on. I accept obviously social DMs, but I have a strict policy now of no DMs. In regards to treatment, I don't want to be checking my DMs at 8 o'clock at night with people asking if this white patch is okay on their lip whilst I'm not having a wine. I now have <laughs> an assistant um, who answers the emails and we have a protocol for after hours and yep. it's not my social media. That's actually um, great so that's advice. A good thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's a, it's a, um, yeah. It's, it's a slippery slope once you open up that floodgate. Well, well that's the double-edged sword of social media that people see it as social, not business. Mm-hmm. And the boundaries are so grey that they could be lying in bed at you know midnight and, mm-hmm. and like you say, asking about, oh, how much is a mill and yeah. all this yeah. kind of crap. And it's like, come on, would you reasonably do that with a business at midnight? No. Why, why are you exactly. asking now? Yeah. Why don't you call oh, at nine well, o'clock? I, would get, I used to get the question marks and saying, I can see you're online. Just a quick question. <laughs> yeah. Like, Wow, that's I'm not that's not two wines in on a Sunday night, so yeah. no, I'm not replying. Yeah, I'm yeah. actually guilty of that. I should be more 
regimented with what I do and don't reply to it. We have times. it on our aftercare form and in the protocol on our website just to cover cover our backs in case anyone was to ever, you know, heaven forbid, have an occlusion and they've sent it to me via DM and I haven't seen it. You know, like it's it's very clearly stated that I don't check my DMs, you must email yeah. or this is the emergency number. Um, yeah. So yeah. It's too casual, isn't it? You want it a bit yeah. more formalised. Yeah. Well, you just, you know, as you said, you know, you sort of teach people how to treat you and if you sort of make yourself that sort of accessible where they can just sort of send a, a message, you might get stuff that's probably maybe not appropriate for that time, might not be an emergency. There's the expectation there that you're going to respond and then you sort yeah. of all of a sudden yeah. you've created conflict unnecessarily for yourself. Yeah. Stop DMing, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> no, but the caveat <laughs> is... The are great, but yeah, yeah it's... It's that I'm not answering your appointment questions. That's what I would pay a receptionist for. Yeah, but but the, there is a caveat to that. And I'm like, if this is an emergency, you need my number. You need some way of contacting me. You know, yeah. there's no point in you stressing on a Sunday because yeah. you don't know who to call. So from yeah. that perspective, it's nice to have, you know, that that link between injector and patient, but it's got to be very clear what it's for. Yeah. Um, yeah. You just reminded me actually, Maddie. So aftercare and, and, and stuff like that, what, Booking system do you use? And you know, have, we use, sorry, sorry, I was going to say timely. Okay, timely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, we just send out we send out aftercare via email, just mm-hmm. so we have that clear record that we told you this is the aftercare. Um, because sometimes I forget to hand out the flyers. Yeah. And we reiterate within the email this is the protocol of how to contact us. So it's just all there legally, I guess, if we ever need, and the patient can always refer back to it. And does it do that manually or do you have to do it? Sorry, is it no, automated? No, my receptionist or? does it. Right. I think it, it would do it manually. Timely costs a fortune. There's so many add-ons that are just ridiculously priced. So mm. I'd use my receptionist. It gives it a little more of a personal touch, I guess, yes. as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's good to know. Now, mm. finally, any sort of golden tips, um, hints, advice, um, you know, it might be something you can't live without, like a new technique, a book that you've read, anything that you um, would like to sort of recommend to Pod- our listeners. Podcasts that you listen to, yeah. anything. Yeah, anything. <laughs> I think it would be to plan a good five to ten years in advance and try not to to rush your career. Um, as I think what we were saying at the beginning, a lot of uh, a lot of injectors want it all now and they kind of skip that hospital experience, skip the experience of working for someone else for the glory of having their own clinic. But I think to be a very skilled and uh, credible injector who has a, a good clientele, good reputation, it does take a lot of time. So planning that five to 10 years in advance, not wanting it tomorrow, wanting it five years in, in the future is is going to be really helpful for your career. It's certainly what I did. It may have appeared that I just popped up out of nowhere and became successful, but it t- definitely took that 10 years of of uh, planning, of strategic planning to get yeah. here. I think that's fantastic advice. Uh, I loved everything that you said. I think our core values are definitely aligned and I'm definitely going to be stealing the peppermint smelly thing. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds cool. Oh, I like it. You come back at the clip. We've actually got uh, peppermint essential oils and, and a few other ones at home because we've got the, the diffusers going off. You know, my, my naturopath wife likes all of that kind of stuff. So maybe we can just steal some. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Give it a try. <laughs> maybe your wife could come work at my clinic. Yeah, we'll just have one bubbling away in the corner yeah. just permanently, just pepperminting the, the whole clinic. We do. Make us all calm and less why not? stressed. We could use some more of that. Yeah. Use, everyone could use a bit more calmness in their life. 100%. So thank you for your time, Maddie. We'll put all of your contact details the bottom of the podcast description. Any parting comments, David? No, just thank you for your time. It was great. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. 
for our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. Using the link in our Instagram profile, you can easily email us, text us, apply to be a guest on the show, follow our personal accounts on Instagram, and even show your love and support us on Patreon. 